I'm already flustered. <laughs> I'm already blushing. Oh my goodness. <gasps> Laura, are we going to be able to make it Sorry. through this episode? I don't know. <laughs> I need to take a cold shower. All right. Deep breaths. Uh, Deep breaths. We've got a lot of ground to cover here. Um, I'm, this is a rhetorical question because I already know your answer, but Laura, are you on Muscle Mommy TikTok? <laughs> Obviously I am. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Welcome to the show, everybody. Welcome it's- to Fit Literate. I'm Carolyn, and this is Laura. And I'm Laura. And um, today we are talking about a slightly less popular TikTok trend, but one that... Um, An up-and-coming TikTok trend. Up and a growing coming, TikTok trend. Yeah, one that we... Are personally invested in. personally invested in. <laughs> um, and that we're going to tie into some informative information. Informative information. Oh, my God. Some inform- informative stuff as well. I just, I love to watch women win. And even more than that, I love to watch women crush melons with their thighs. Oh, my God. So the best. I- <laughs> <laughs> as we get closer and closer to summer, I'm sure we're going to be seeing more of those videos. But um Yeah. All right, to get right into it, unless you have anything you need to, any updates at the top of the show here before we get started. I don't think so. Actually, I just want to promote the Patreon first because we need to do a better job of that because we're putting such good content over there. And Here, look, we can do some ASMR for you. So many different things you might like. (laughs) Singing. I did see see a Muscle Mommy ASMR on YouTube. I didn't watch it. I was okay. a little nervous, but okay. Um, Rain yeah. it in. We talked about making this one quick on the Patreon lately. We've talked about the buckle fat trend. We've talked about the new weight loss drugs. We've gone in on goop again. We've done an influencer story time. What else were we talking about? Those are the latest couple, but we've got no, there's some heavy hitters. A couple dozen episodes up there at this point. So if you love the show and you want more content and you want to support us, you can head over to patreon.com slash pod. If you want to support us without paying money, you can write us a nice review, preferably five stars. We would appreciate that. Um, mm-hmm. share the yeah. pod with your friends, post about it on social media of your choice but especially those reviews help a whole lot and make sure you're subscribed absolutely uh, so you can see us in your feed and know when the new episodes come out but thank you for all the love lately it does mean a lot to us and uh we're just we're just excited that we're making a podcast that you like to listen to so So thanks for being a part of this community because it's a lot less fun to just yell into the void and a lot more fun to know we're talking to people who are talking back to us. Yes. So. Although I will say, I feel like these past couple of recording sessions, we've been having more fun than usual yelling into the void. Like we've been really enjoying ourselves. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I love to yell into the void, but <laughs> <laughs> it's better when there's someone there to listen. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right. So let, let's get into the topic at hand. Laura, do you want to tell everybody what a muscle mommy is? <sighs> I don't, uh, uh, or do you want me to do it? <laughs> I'm like, all I can do is like push my glasses up and down and go a wooga. Like, wooga, a, yeah. like what, <laughs> what's the, what does Webster's dictionary define a muscle mommy as Carolyn? Okay. So basically 
Muscle Mommy is like a hashtag that for the past year or so has been growing in popularity on TikTok, especially. I checked out Instagram too. There's only about like 75,000 posts under that hashtag, which sounds like a lot. But when you think about like how many Instagram posts there are and some of the hashtags that have like millions of posts under them, it's small in comparison. But it's a growing trend on TikTok in the kind of like gym talk, uh, women's weightlifting, even not just women's weightlifting, but just like weightlifting side of TikTok. And most of the videos under this hashtag are videos of very muscular and or strong women showing off their physiques and performing feats of strength. Um, I will say that more than any of the other trends and hashtags that we've covered on this podcast, this is the most overtly sexual one that we've talked about. Like, I would say the majority of the Muscle Mommy content could fall under the category of thirst trap. Like, that's primarily what it's meant to be for. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, again, eyes popping out of the skull, unfurling the tongue, like... It's it's definitely content directed at people who find muscular women attractive. And um that that would include the two of us that you are listening to now. So sorry about the bias <laughs> coming through the mic. Yeah, we'll stop objective we'll stop the objectification in a second, maybe. There also seems to be now I'm taking us off topic, but there seems to be some crossover with the anime crowd. I noticed that, that, that too. Yes. Mm-hmm. I like mm-hmm. a number I think of- it's the attack on Titan effect, which, you know, mm. mixed feelings about that. And I've only seen one season and it is like a vaguely pro-nazi allegory so tread with caution um that i had not heard about the show (laughs) i think i think from dipping my toes into the world of anime it definitely tends to celebrate exaggerated developed (laughs) developed women's physiques more so than like other other cartoon media sure sure yeah mailman's here um Uh. Yeah. Hello, man. man. Def- Would you like to be a guest on a podcast? <laughs> what do you think about? Do you, what do you think about Muscle Mommy? <laughs> do you watch anime? He's like, ah. <laughs> okay, we need to take the silly down a little bit. Um, so okay. how? So so anyway, the reason that we, so Muscle Mommy, the, the main reason we're bringing this up, we just like to touch on you know the trends that we see on social media. Um, I think that this is one that is not quite as serious. I. It, it seems like it does have kind of a a silly aspect to it. It's mostly thirst traps. It's not people like sharing advice or information under the muscle mommy hashtag typically. Like the creators that I think of when I think of it are um, like the little beast. If you've seen her, um, mm-hmm. she's like a power lifter. Um, I've seen a couple like <laughs> fan cam edits of her, which is very fun. Uh-huh. Um, there's like lean, lean beef, beef patty, patty, who is uh-huh. probably the most famous of the muscle mommies um and she that sounds fair uh I don't know if she's a a trainer but I know that she writes like lifting muscle growing guides I don't know much about what she does this is not like a review of her page um and then the other person who I noticed comes up a lot under the hashtag is Samantha Joe, who she seems lovely. She's doing this whole series 
uh, recently over the past couple months about like beating gym anxiety. She's like a plus size woman who has always felt kind of intimidated by the gym, but wants to get into weightlifting and strength training. So she's been using the hashtag muscle mommy. And a lot of her videos have been going viral, um, of her like, yeah, getting over her gym anxiety and like taking up space in the weight room, which I think is very cool. And I love that she's showing up at the top of the search results as well. And it's not just like thin, lean women flexing and um, showing off their muscles. There's there's a little bit of diversity in terms of both body types and content types, which I think is fun. I love that. I feel like the general vibe is just the awe you experienced in the 1920s watching a strong man rip a phone book in half. Yeah. Like that that is kind of the vibe here. Like, yeah, there's a certain amount of thirstiness and a certain amount of objectification, but it's also, it's fun. And it's fun in a way that we don't frequently get to talk about. And I will say it's fun. In terms of the internet and muscles. It is definitely more fun on TikTok than it is on Instagram. When I went and searched the hashtag on Instagram, it's tough because it's, you know, more of a picture-based medium than video, even Mm. though, you know, they're trying really hard to push reels. Um, it's it reminds me a lot of the like physique check content that I consumed a lot in like 2014 to 2016 when when I was following a lot of um like bodybuilders and bikini mm-hmm. competitors or just people who maybe not were getting on stage but were following those same types of physique building programs um and it feels a lot more similar to that as opposed to like look at this uh this woman like flex her arms for a second and then do a really impressive like heavy exercise with some hardcore music happening in the background which feels a little more cinematic and I don't know my personal experience is that when I'm watching the TikTok videos I'm comparing myself to the person in the video a lot less than when I just see a still image on Instagram. And that might just be me. There's something I think there's something to be said about like bodies in motion feeling mm-hmm. more humanistic than yeah. just like it it almost feels like watching a celebrity in a movie as compared to like a magazine spread. Yes. I don't know. And I think just the vibe on TikTok is more tongue in cheek. Like mm-hmm. I don't think it's a leap to say that the muscle mommy trend is a response to like the pink Pilates princess trend in all I the, think it's kind of existing like, in a world of its own to be body honest. checking content. I think it's, but I think it's like a, you know, there's, there's so much icky rhetoric on TikTok and on the internet at large about like, Oh, don't bulk up and don't, you know, weightlifting wrecked my metabolism or whatever they're making up nowadays that I think it's, like, oh, you're afraid of looking like, like me? Like, mm. fuck you. I like looking like me. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, a lot of like there's a fun positive protesty kind of vibe. Yes. And- it's like the Joe Roganification of the fitness girlies, <laughs> where they're just like leaning into kind of like the the meathead aspect that so much of the fitness marketing industry wants to scare women specifically away from. Yes. And, and we're going to talk about that a lot in this episode. Um, kind of the, the, 
the like historical myths around women and strength training. And yeah, I think what I love most about the hashtag muscle mommy trend is like you said, it's just leaning into this like celebration of very strong and muscular women. Not that there's anything wrong with not being um, uh, like there's something wrong with being a woman who is not strong and super muscular. Uh, I'm not trying to with my praise, I guess, of this hashtag say that this is the standard that everyone should be trying to meet. That is not it at all. It's more of I like that it's creating space for like different experiences in fitness that like being a woman in fitness doesn't have to mean you're always trying to make like a small body with long lean muscles like you can get jacked and that's also cool (laughs) we see a lot of women being scared out of doing really health basic health promoting activities like doing some resistance training yeah they're scared out of that with the threat that they will become a muscle mommy and we waste a lot of breath going, Hey, actually that takes a ton of time and work and dedication. So that's not going to happen to you accidentally. And you can experience a ton of benefits, even if you don't reach that level. So instead of doing that, we're just turning around and we're like celebrating the hard work it takes for a person who is five foot one to be able to deadlift 400 pounds. Yeah, exactly. Um, So it's a fun, (laughs) like smooth brain, no discourse moment. Yeah. But of course we're going to turn that into wrinkle brain, lots of discourse. Muscle brain. Is that what you just said? (laughs) I said wrinkle brain, but I like muscle brain too. Yeah. Let's, let's flex our cerebral cortexes. I love it. And let's dive into the muscle mommies. So no pun intended. As we said, There's not much to this hashtag. We kind of just covered all of it. Like that's all there is to it. But we wanted to use this as a jumping off point to um, talk about some historical figures in the kind of like women's strength world who have paved the way for the muscle mommies of today. Because just because it's trending on TikTok doesn't mean it's new. Yeah. Oh, also, before I get into our uh, featured historical figures, I did look at the Google trends for the term muscle mommy. And I looked at it like Uh over all of time since Google started like tracking (laughs) things. And weirdly, in 2005 and 2006, there was this huge spike in searches for it, like the most that there has ever been historically. So I, I, it was like right before we got onto record. So I wasn't able to do enough investigating to figure out what was going on in 2005 and 2006 that like, I, I like, I didn't look on Reddit yet or anything, but something was going on where muscle mommies was a trend. I'm worried about what it might've been. Um, shocking. I know like it (laughs) could have just been porn, but, um, yeah, so that's I mean, interesting. statistically, it probably is poor. Yeah, so, like, even, like, the search terms now where it is the highest that it has ever been since um, since 2006, it's still only about, like, half as popular of a search term, um, which is just fascinating. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, let's uh, let's get into it. So I have three... Uh, women that I am going to be talking about today. Um, the first is Josephine Blatt, also commonly known as, under her like performance name, Minerva. So 
Minerva was, I know, right? Badass. Yes. She was um, what's called a strength artist at uh, the turn of the century. So like the late 1800s. Basically, this there was no such thing as like competitive weightlifting or like strength sports at this time, especially for women. So, uh, historical, like strong women, um, like Minerva, they were more performers. They were entertainers. They were putting on shows, showing off their feats of strength and performing like in the circus and stuff like that. So she was, um, I forgot to write down when she was born, but she was like famous, um, in the late 1800s. She started kind of performing in the strength arts in the 1880s with her husband, Charles Blatt. So her kind of early life biography is contested because a lot of these like strength artists, they would just like they have stage names, you know, her name was Josephine. It wasn't Minerva, but she went by Minerva when she was performing. They also have like stage biographies. And it kind of reminds me of like modern day, like wrestlers where it's like, they're kind of playing a character and they have like a backstory. seems like these people tended to make a backstory that seemed very realistic and was often like based off of their actual life, but not necessarily accurate because it was meant to make them seem a little bit more fantastical or impressive or kind of draw people in. So according to her, what what she told people in the press and stuff, um, she was born in Germany and began gymnastics and strength training at a young age. Uh, strength training and things like gymnastics and stuff were way more common in Europe in the earlier 1800s before any of that became popular in the United States. So it's common for lots of um, American strength artists uh, to have gotten their start or been born in or grew up in Europe. Um, so not not an uncommon thing. Um, and it is said that she met her husband, Charles Blatt, um, kind of early on, and he recognized how strong she was and was kind of the one who encouraged her to get into the strength arts and become a performer. And they like were in business together and did all kinds of things together. Now, there sounds like been... a real wife guy. <laughs> yeah. Now, it, it's pretty clear that he was actually not her first husband and that her personal life was actually fairly dramatic. There is, um, There was a very interesting article written by Jan Todd, who is herself a notable woman in the strength sports. Um, she wrote it in 2009 called sex exclamation point murder exclamation point suicide exclamation point and it is about kind of like the personal life and history of Josefina Blatt and her various paramours um I skimmed it I didn't read the whole thing the the murder and suicide happened at the very end of the article if you're interested in going to read it it definitely was interesting um but we are focused on Josefine Minerva in this, not her husband's and their antics. <laughs> um, oh. Antics meaning murder, suicide. Sorry, I, I kind of made light of that, but you know, <laughs> that's not what we're talking about. Moving on. Sure, sure. <laughs> so basically, um, at this time, these, uh, like I was saying, these 
people were competing in these performances, like not sanctioned like sport competitions, but like this showy. is kind of like circus, like freak show Very era, circus-y. right? Like yes. P.T. Barnum, like abusing disabled it, people or like different people in with facial differences. Like this is this is not good times, but it's almost like vaudeville. It exactly, and so she was. A vaudeville performer, 100%. And um, I don't remember if she actually worked in the circus, but a lot of her contemporaries did. There were lots of strong women okay. performing feats of strength in the circus. Um, but so she had um, lots of different shows and stuff with her husband. Um, they were like running this, uh, it was called Central Park in um, San Antonio, Texas. And that's where they did a lot of their performing. They like ran the whole facility and they put on shows there. And um, it was common at this time for strength artists to like take out space in the local newspapers and like uh, like challenge other people to contests. So these weren't like sanctioned sports in the way we would think of like a powerlifting competition now. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, they would like challenge people from the audience. They would like, you know, say like, I believe I am like the strongest man or woman in the world. And I challenge anyone who thinks they're stronger than me to like come try to lift this heavy boulder or something, <laughs> which honestly sounds kind of fun and entertaining. And I totally would have been watching that if I was around at that time. <laughs> you know, my competitive ass would have been walking up to that park being like, I'll do it. And I breaking got it. my whole spine. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. let me tell you about some of her uh her feats so in her act she would often um do things like throwing and catching cannonballs bending horseshoes juggling heavy dumbbells and um she was most well known for this feat where she lifted a platform with like many male audience members standing on it. So I have a, a an actual quote from that article that kind of talks about this and how it was um, written up in like the newspapers and stuff. So on Monday, April 29th, 1895, the house was packed for an evening's vaudeville show. The Gazette describes the evening's entertainment as one of the best all-around vaudeville combinations seen at this house this season. (laughs) And Minerva not only headlined the show, she allegedly lifted and juggled heavy dumbbells and weights with ease. Near the end of her act, she asked 18 volunteers from the audience, men who averaged around 150 pounds apiece, to assemble on stage. The men were asked to stand closely together on a broad platform while Minerva climbed to a platform above their heads. She donned her harness, bent her legs, and managed to lift all 18 men and the platform from the floor. The police gazette proclaimed it to be a lift of 3,000 pounds, which would be logical if the men totaled 2,700 pounds and the platform and chains about 300. However, as lifting records often do over time, this great lift, which is still considered to be the heaviest lift by any woman in history, was soon exaggerated. The number of men on the platform had grown to 23 by the time her obituary was published in the Police Gazette in 1923, and her billboard obituary claims she lifted 28. (laughs) Whatever the final weight, this lift done in front of Sam Austin, the spotting editor for the Police Gazette, and a packed house of enthusiastic plans solidified once and for all Minerva's claim to the title, Strongest Woman in the World. (laughs) So cool! (laughs) 
3,000 pounds. And here's the thing. Who knows? It was very common. I love her. And who cares? It was very common in this time to kind of goose the numbers a little bit. Gussy up the old story to sell some papes. I know how it works. I know how it works. I've seen newsies. Use dummy weights and... uh, like setups that made the lift actually less heavy than it appeared to be to the audience. But either way, like they were actually paying uh, several eight year olds a nickel a day <laughs> to stand under that platform and push up. Yeah, exactly. And but but regardless if it was 3000 pounds or not quite that much, it like she was extremely strong. And uh, yeah, she that's amazing. had a a prolific entertainment career because of it. So shall we say it on three? One, two, three, mommy. (laughs) (laughs) If you, if you want to learn more about the drama of her life, you can go read that uh, sex murder suicide article, which still has the most wild name. Um, But yeah, that's Minerva. What do you think? Obsessed. (laughs) I love it. Me too. I'm so, this is my favorite episode you've ever recorded. I know. And we got two uh, more and they're both just as sex, good. Sex, murder, muscle mommies. Muscle, Let's sex, go. murder, it. muscle mommies. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Okay. We know how to get the people talking. We do. We do indeed. All right. So. Yeah. You, me, and Upton Sinclair. We're all on the same level of journalism. <laughs> all right. Number two. Here we go. Number two, we have got Katie Sanduina, the Lady Hercules. Love it. <gasps> have you heard of her? <laughs> no, I haven't. I just I just like all the Greek mythology stuff. This is really tickling me. I'm don't mind me. I read so many like blurbs from like articles and stuff at the time. They're often called like Titanesses and Amazons. And I'm just like, I love it. It's so good. It's so theatrical. Um, okay. So Katie Sandwina, um was born Katie Brumbach or Brumbach in Austria in 1884 to a family of strength artists. She was one of 14 children, <laughs> which is wild. Um, and she often like she grew up basically like performing with her family, including her father, who allegedly could lift 500 pounds with one finger. Who knows? Ooh. Who cares? <laughs> so she she's from a family of strength artists. Um, when she was growing up, or presumably when she was like a teenager and like young adult, um, when she was performing, audiences were offered prize money um, for anyone who could beat her in wrestling matches. And allegedly no one ever won that prize money. So she went undefeated (laughs) in her wrestling matches. Awesome. Badass. Um, So in the early 1900s, she moved to, or yeah, 19 in like, sometime between 1900 and 1910. Um, She moved to New York, where at this same time, the great Eugene Sandow, I think that's how his name is said, who is, um, he was a famous strongman and strength artist who basically pioneered strength arts in the U.S. Like he was traveling around, putting on these shows, starting competitions and stuff. Like he was kind of like the father of this stuff in the United States. And so he was going around with his famous show. And again, allegedly, 
this is her origin story and it is highly contested whether or not this is actually true, but I like the story. So I'm going to say that it is true. Um, We're doing some fitness entertainment right yeah, now. Don't exactly. mind us. Because that's what this all is. It's fitness entertainment. Um, so allegedly she was in the crowd at one of his shows at one of his performances where he was challenging the audiences to beat him in a lifting contest and she accepted that challenge and she beat him uh where allegedly she was able to lift a 300 pound weight overhead with one arm and he was only able to bring it to his chest he wasn't able to press it all the way overhead (laughs) Again, wait, a alleged. 300 pound yes. single arm overhead press. Yeah. Or maybe a snatch or something. Um, yeah. But holy hell. Yeah. Yeah. These ladies were okay. Okay. presumably insanely strong. Um, yeah. So that is how she actually got her then stage name Sandwina. Because basically it's like, since I beat you, like, I'm take I'm stealing your name essentially like it was oh. in homage to him Hell yeah. um which I think is very cute and I think they like became you know friends and like were kind of you know colleagues at the same time as she made her way into this world professionally so her popularity increased over the years when she joined the Barnum and Bailey circus and she really became a celebrity of her time um And a part of this was due to the fact that in addition to being very, very strong, she was also considered very, very beautiful. And so she kind of became this like this muscle muscle mommy mommy sex symbol (laughs) type figure where like she was admired both for her strength and her feminine beauty. There was a journalist, Katie Carew. I think is how it's pronounced. Um, you were going to say who, Katie Couric, and I was like, Carolyn, I don't think she's that old. No, 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 no. Katie Carew in 1911 <laughs> <laughs> uh, wrote an article with this um, quote, which I just love it. Okay, here we go. Lo, these eyes have beheld the superwoman. Her head is the head of Juno. Her form is fit for a mother of kings and heroes. She is 25 years old, weighs 210 pounds, and moves as lightly as a greyhound. She is as majestic as the Sphinx, as pretty as a Valentine, as sentimental as a German schoolgirl, and as wholesome as a great big (laughs) slice of bread and butter. I can't. I love it so. And the fact that that was written by a woman makes me love it so much more because it's just like that pure, just like admiration. Early recorded by Panic. Also, as wholesome as a slice of bread and butter is permanently entering my lexicon. And then what's as dainty as a German schoolgirl? Yes. Is that? Is was that like a stereotype in the 1910s? I don't know. I don't know, but it was so funny. Also, the oh, fact that it starts with low exclamation low. point. Behold. I want to start <laughs> I want to start more conversations with low. <laughs> I'm gonna start oh, that's gonna uh, be our next our next episode. We're just gonna low at you. Oh maybe I'll it. maybe I'll make that the first word in the um in the description in the show notes. <laughs> Perfect. Lo, behold the muscle mommies on TikTok. Your two favorite dainty German schoolgirls talking about. (laughs) That's my least favorite part. Like, let's talk about the Greyhound and the Sphinx. (laughs) 
Yeah. Um, I'm I'm still hung up on the bread and butter. The bread and butter. I know. So good. But yeah, so she she became really famous. Um, she was also really tall. She was six foot one. So I think she just had this like incredible presence, <laughs> basically, where she was she was yeah. just like this big, tall, beautiful woman who was so strong and everyone was just like in awe of her. Okay, not to bring it down a little bit, but there is a slight dark side because we are talking about, you know, the 19 teens. Um, So both she and her kind of stage namesake, uh, Eugen Sandow, they were they were regarded and marketed in their various performances and stuff as quote unquote perfect specimens. Now that should maybe raise some red flags and rightly so because that kind of language was very intentionally deliberately and like obviously, uh, tied to the eugenics movement, which was growing and popular at this time. There was a, like, American, like, nationalistic desire to define and celebrate, like, what the perfect American looks like and, you know, breed the perfect American. I think we talked a little bit about this in our That Girl episode just you know the eugenics mm. of it all and we bring it up in like every other episode it's just eugenics and tracy anderson over here i swear to god incredible how it stays relevant it stays relevant um but yeah so barnum and bailey they definitely like played into this and really used her superior genetics quote unquote and the fact that she was a perfect specimen of like the human female body um as a part of their marketing for her show so you know it Mm. is what it is and you see echoes of that happening today like it hasn't gone away even if the language has been um changed a little bit and people don't talk about eugenics in such blatant terms anymore whenever people talk about like health purity or we've seen a huge uptick in eugenics kind of yeah. like um people being unaware of the eugenic messaging they're spreading around the pandemic with like oh it doesn't matter because only sick and old and disabled people are yeah. gonna die we like e- big yikes folks we see it i mean i could argue that it's like any YouTube video that's like, get Alexis Ren's abs. Like we pick one person who we like the way this part of their body looks. And then that's what we're all meant to achieve because we want to Frankenstein together a perfect, productive American citizen. Exactly. Like Like the existence of a cultural body ideal is a tool of eugenics. Like it it just is during any time period. Um, But I digress. Despite that cultural context that she was existing in, she was still a badass, strong woman who uh, got really famous for being badass and strong, which I think is very cool. And nowhere in anything I read did it say that like she was personally like a proponent or like outspoken advocate of eugenics. It was more just like... Okay. That... Kind of how, how like, not every personal trainer doing, like, a body check before their, um, uh, like, workout tutorial on YouTube 
knows that they are like perpetuating anti-fatness. You know, it, it's more like there, there's layers sure. to dig through. Yeah. Yeah. It's like when people thought Taylor Swift was the queen of the KKK because she hadn't come out and said explicitly that she wasn't. But it was yeah, just like they liked that she was blonde. <laughs> exactly. I'm not making any leaps about um, about Katie Sandwina's personal beliefs. It's just that her existence <laughs> was was used as, as a part of that agenda. But yeah, she she was really cool and people loved her, which I think is really cool. So we've got... We've got one more, and she's the one that I think maybe more people have heard about. I've seen, like, I think I've seen TikToks about her or just, like, people talking about her before, but her name is um, Abby Stockton, more commonly known Mm. by her nickname, Pudgy Stockton, which um, she kind of, it was, Pudgy was used as, like, a a derogatory nickname for her when she was little. And then she kind of like reclaimed it. And just that is what people called her. And even her husband by, you know, the end of their lives um, was often affectionately called Mr. Pudge, which I think is so cute. (laughs) That's Mr. Pudge. Mr. Pudge. Sounds like an Instagram famous cat or something. (laughs) You're so right. Oh my gosh. But okay. So, Abby Pudgy Stockton was born in 1917 in the United States, and she started lifting weights in the 1930s on Santa Monica's Muscle Beach and eventually becoming known as the Queen of Muscle Beach. So cool. Badass. So, you know, we're a couple decades further into history than the last two women we talked about, but even so, at this time, like, women were not being really encouraged to exercise beyond just like going for walks, doing light calisthenics, like very, very like non-strenuous exercise. So a woman strength training and being really strong on Muscle Beach in California around all of the other like around the famous like male bodybuilders and um, strength competitors at the time, like that was pretty radical. Like that was unusual and definitely like made her make a name for herself. Um, so she was known for her very impressive strength, especially relative to her size because she was quite short and petite. Like she was only five one. Um, and I know, right. So she was, she was like very small and very strong. And in the 1940s, uh, she actually formed a hand balancing act with her husband, Les, and his buddy. And um, they toured all over the Los Angeles area. And I guess a couple of the um, uh, things that they were most famous for in their act was that she would be the base with her hands up in the air and he would do a handstand on her hands, which is so cool. You know, because she's That's tiny so and being the base in this handstand, not what you would normally see in acrobatics. Um, and also they had one where she would like balance on his arm or something while holding a 100 pound dumbbell over her head, which just incredible. Like that oh. is I can't like I have trouble even imagining how that would be possible, but apparently they were doing it. Um so cool, fun stuff, you know, still kind of in this tradition of like feats of strength and athleticism as a form of performance. But, um, you know, we're getting more into the 
mid 20th century here and things are changing. Culture is changing in the like 1940s and 50s, especially, you know, because of World War II and this national desire to show like the strength of the nation. There is just an overall greater interest in the United States in athletics exercise strength in general this is where we talked about this again I think in the that girl episode you're just seeing like a an increase in popularity of exercise all around and um while it's still not being that encouraged for women it's becoming more culturally accepted that like hey it actually it it's good for for women to move their bodies and exercise maybe not to the same extent as men like they shouldn't really be pushing themselves like that but like yeah like exercise for women thumbs up i would imagine that there was i'm thinking of like the shift from s- the 70s and the beginnings of like the feminist movement in America into the eighties, which was like, well, you can't have rights, but you can have a power suit. I'm imagining, (laughs) you know what I mean? You can have a credit card now, but we're not going to pay you the same. Like I'm imagining a shift from women in the workforce in the forties because of the war. And now because of domestic containment and we have to have normal American families so that our sons don't turn out gay communists. Like I'm imagining, Oh, well you ladies you could go to a ladies exercise class exactly. and that gives you some of that girl power you wanted like and it not even girl power but it was more about just like the strength and health of the american family and like like the american mm. family unit while still conforming to like proper gender roles so it was this idea that like we want our <laughs> women to be healthy and strong but in like a womanly feminine way um <laughs> yeah well mom's got some extra energy because she's on all those uppers <laughs> right? so make sure she like <laughs> aerobics it out and doesn't start thinking too hard Yeah, on those like vibrating bands and stuff but so while that was the kind of norm (laughs) in the now like budding fitness industry for women um uh pudgy was really a pioneer when it came to like strength training for women so from 1945 to 1955 she actually wrote a column in strength and health magazine called barbells like B-E-L-L-E-S. Cute, right? And it was literally a a column all about like weightlifting and strength training and fitness for women. And she wrote that column for 10 years. And also within that time in the late 1940s, after the war, she and her husband opened the first, um, they called it a women's health center, but it was essentially a women's only gym. And it was the first one in the nation. And, um, you know, because of who they were, they were strength athletes. They, um, had a big emphasis Mm -hmm. on strength training for women, which I think is pretty cool because, you know, that's not the same type of stuff that women were getting in other like health and fitness settings for them. But yeah, she worked in fitness as like a trainer until she retired at age 66. And she was very well regarded in the industry as a fitness professional and a pioneer for strength training for women. Um, In an article I read about her on the website Girls Gone Strong, it kind of lists some of her accolades. So it says, in 1991, the Association of Old Time Barbell and Strong Men honored her. In 1988, she received the Steve Reeves International Society Pioneer Award. And in 2000, she was inducted into the Joe Wider or Weider Hall of Fame 
name. Um, and uh, yeah, so I'm not familiar with any of those awards personally, but um, yeah, she she was badass. She was pretty cool and did a lot to advance the um, popularity and general cultural acceptance of um, strength training for women, which I think is really cool. So, um, oh. yeah, that is that. This is like making me emotional now. I know. I go Aren't they awesome? Hug, I'm like, I love you ladies. <laughs> yeah. Ah. Those are our historical muscle mommies. And there were so many others that I read about. Um, but these were just the ones that I decided to talk about today. Like I almost included three more, but I was like, no, that is, <laughs> that's way too many. We well, can do a follow-up well, episode. Maybe necessary. we can. Yeah, or maybe we can put some profiles on the Patreon if you just want to learn a little bit more about Muscle Mommies, yeah, yeah. our four mothers. <laughs> and then I guess for a little bit of context to kind of like thread the needle between then and now, because now like women's strength training, I think is considered very, very normal. Like there are still like myths and misconceptions around it, but I don't think it's generally thought of as like bad for a woman to pick up a dumbbell <laughs> like it used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, basically the kind of progression we saw with that is that it took until the 1970s for strength sports, like strongman competitions, powerlifting and Olympic lifting competitions to create actual like sanctioned contests for women to participate in. And then the first strength sport ever to from the get go, just include both men's and women's competitions is actually CrossFit. So they're, they're the first ones where oh. at inception it was men and women, which makes sense because it was started in like the early 2000s. But <laughs> sure. But it just kind of shows that we are like beyond cool. the point of there being um, like total exclusion of women from strength based sports. And yeah, I think at this point, like any type of strength competition, like you might have to travel for it, but there is a women's league or a women's. Uh, competition that can be participated in that is like official and where you like win a title (laughs) hell yeah that's cool yeah very cool stuff I love that so um I want to get to kind of your advice for women interested in strength training but I thought first we would maybe talk about some of the reasons why historically women were not encouraged to strength train. And this is originally what I was going to talk about at length, but it really just boils down to one point, which is it basically boils down to one point, which is misogyny. It's just the assumption that women are weaker and frail and should be weaker than men. And so either leading to the false belief that um vigorous exercise and lifting heavy things is somehow dangerous for women or that you know if women become too strong and muscular that is bad for social reasons because then they are too much like men and we cannot have that we can't have our women out here looking like men aghast no if if women are are strong and can open jars and pick up heavy thing then what's man gonna do exactly what what man job then yeah what do what do man do what do what do man do (laughs) what do man do 
So this God. was, I saw this really interesting article um, on this like historian's website. Um, the article is just called Exercise for Women in the Early 19th Century. So it was talking about kind of like Victorian England and the exercise prescriptions that were given to women. There were some very um, delightful illustrations demonstrating these like calisthenic exercises with like a broom handle um, for ladies. And of course, you're supposed to continue to wear your corset and stays while you do these calisthenic oh exercises. Um, and there were some interesting quotes. So this one says, Exercise is necessary, but the constitution of women is adapted only to moderate exercise. Their feeble arms cannot oh. perform work too laborious and too long continued, and the graces cannot be reconciled with fatigue and sunburning. Excessive labor reduces and deforms the organs, destroying by repeated compressions that cellular substance which contributes to the beauty of their contours and their colors. The exercise which women of a middling condition find in useful and indispensable occupations is the most wholesome because it joins the natural effects of labor, the inward satisfaction afforded by the accomplishment of duty. <laughs> <laughs> I love the cells I'm losing are brain cells. Also, the idea that okay, like three points of attack here. Number one, the idea that compression from exercise would be bad for you, but wearing a boned corset to make your waist 16 inches wouldn't have any effect on your internal organs. No, exactly. Also, like let's let's be real. Like we read that in you know a a lady magazine or whatever most women were working yes most women exactly. who were not upper and class so these... affluent white women who had a whole um a whole like team of domestic laborers or you know like again thinness has all thinness since the transatlantic slave trade everyone go read fearing the black body thinness has always been since then a signifier of status a signifier of wealth and a signifier of whiteness yep. which of course was then interchangeable with status mm -hmm. and Class. wealth yeah this when we read about like oh women were encouraged to be small women were encouraged to not do labor like this is really privileged wealthy white women even when we're talking about it in the 50s yes. like would these women had the chance to go to their you know, vibrating belt classes because they had like a woman of color at home paid to take care of their children and do the cooking and the cleaning mm -hmm. and also maybe have another job in the workforce. Like this, the, these restrictions placed on women being strong and having to perform laborious work that appeals and applies to a very small margin of women obviously like that standard harms everyone but it's also indicative of you know the 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 shackles of capitalism in america but also a again an indicator of class an indicator of mm -hmm. uh a racial caste system um and yeah i don't know where i was going with that i just want to make sure that we touched on that yeah point. no absolutely and I actually have another quote that kind of like t that really 
exemplifies that as well. This is another quote, like from Mm -hmm. some magazine or book from that period. Um, Oh, the other thing I was going to say is that this is also the time period where they thought eating Kellogg's flakes would make you not masturbate. Yeah. There was a lot of weird wellness trends going on at this point in time. This is the age of hysteria. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, so this, this is um, an excerpt that's basically talking about so the the first half that I'm not going to read was talking about how exercise of any level of intensity is just fine for girls as it is for boys so like all children should be encouraged to like run around and play and exercise like that is good for children's bodies but the belief at this time was that something happens when um, a girl goes through puberty and once she is now a woman then Everything changes and exercise is now suddenly bad. <laughs> and so the the quote says, if immediate injury does not result from sudden overexertion, the daily renewal of it has a more permanently bad effect by wearing out the powers of the body and bringing on premature old age. Such a degree of exertion, indeed, is not likely to occur from almost any kind of exercise in the middle and higher ranks of life. But nothing is more common than to see a young woman under 30 years of age with the look of 60 from having been overworked as a servant. So they're literally saying it exactly that like the reason we're not encouraging our high class ladies to exercise too vigorously is because you see how bad all of these servant girls look. (laughs) Oh, my God. And I'm like, so do you think it's actually from the fact that they have to do some manual labor that they are, you know, working their bodies rigorously? Or does it have to do with the abject poverty conditions that they live in? Maybe it's not that they are working hard. It's that they are working hard with too little rest, with too few breaks, with not enough food, with not enough money, with not enough sleep. And it's like, oh my God. (laughs) Maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's tuberculosis. (laughs) Like, is it is it the lifting the heavy basket or is it the like sleeping on a stone floor? Yeah, I'm making it up. I'm thinking of like Cinderella, but no, still, but, yeah, that's, but still, it's, that's it's wild. Like they were drawing this conclusion from somewhere, you know, and and like making an accurate observation and then making a really inaccurate conclusion from it, and just the idea that like a woman's body has some like d- like finite amount of like energy or power or something that then gets diminished anytime she does anything and cannot be like replaced. And so the exercise just like quickly depletes a woman's constitution until there is nothing left. Like, whoa, what a leap to if make. If I can go off topic <laughs> for a second, didn't, didn't Trump say something like that in like 2016 or 17 he was like no I don't exercise because we're only born with a finite amount of energy (sighs) did he say that oh interesting (laughs) he was like you only get so much energy so I'm not going to exercise because then I would use up my energy (laughs) it Hmm. sorry this is just a little bit silly to me and if you're confused Um, why maybe this isn't true just because you've never taken like a an anatomy class before um every time you eat you get the energy that your body needs to do stuff. So just like, don't even worry about it. As long as you are eating, then you will continue to replenish the energy in your body. 
and I, I that maybe sounds really obvious and most of you are rolling your eyes like yeah duh obviously but I mean like these beliefs see seemed reasonable to people at some point because they didn't understand how the human body worked and not everybody understands how the human body works because not everybody has to take classes in it so I just wanted to say that in case you were like um the Victorians had a point maybe <laughs> yeah I don't think you're stupid. I just want to make that clear. No, no, I think, I think that's good. I think we have a, I think there is a lot of confusion about what calories are. Calories are energy. Calories are energy that if you have access to food is accessible to you to replenish the energy you need to make your body run. Yeah, exactly. Both like as an activity and just as the act of being a person. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Also, it's just really like bad news whenever we start talking about the condition of being a woman central to the ability to procreate. And like, oh, I know I could say on this forever. But when they're like exertion is bad for women, what the hell do you think childbirth is? If you're so concerned about lady uteruses, like you're also these women are giving birth to six children before the age of 22 and then they're like but god forbid they go on a walk god forbid they Uh, do anything vigorous um but yeah, yeah as silly as those myths may seem they really have carried over into the modern day they've just kind of morphed a little bit there are still so many myths and misconceptions about exercise and women or how exercise affects like a body that has estrogen and could give birth like there the the fertility conversation of it all is still very fraught today like I was looking it up online and there are still sources like one of the first google hits when you search for um like heavy lifting and uterus is this Uh, I don't know if it's a fertility clinic or a gynecology office in Atlanta that on their page perpetuates this myth that heavy lifting um, over time, like compounded over time, can lead to uterine prolapse, which is not true, has been debunked for a while. And most recently in 2020, there was a clinical study done of um, I think around 4,000 women on the the likelihood of experiencing uterine prolapse with different intensities of weightlifting. And it showed that heavy lifting, like the women in the heaviest category, had no increased risk of uterine prolapse. And it was actually the women in the lowest category who were lifting the least and lightest weights that had the highest likelihood of experiencing uterine prolapse. So again, it's 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 this myth that intense exercise or weightlifting or doing strenuous strenuous work just over time breaks down the female reproductive organs and for some reason we don't expect those organs to like heal or for the body to get stronger like we would expect any other muscle or organ system in the body it's very very interesting Literally, if you want to like skip the rest of the podcast, all we're going to talk about is that making yourself stronger makes you stronger. Yes. No matter what sex you were assigned at birth, training your body, helping your body respond to stress 
respond under load, respond under tension, mm-hmm. makes your body more adaptable to responding to stress and load and tension. Exactly. And there is no inverse relationship where doing hard things makes you somehow less capable of doing hard things. Yeah. Where- Except in the short term, when your body is performing the miracle of repairing itself so it can get stronger and do harder things. That's the whole point. And no genetic makeup, no hormone, no, no variety of hormone spread or presence in the body, no like gender expression changes that. Yeah. It just doesn't. When your body is stronger, so, it is stronger. <laughs> Couldn't have said yeah, it better that's myself. That's the TLDR. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that leads me to this other common myth that has been a theme of our last uh of, of a few episodes recently, which is this whole like hormones and exercise thing. So another really common myth these days that we have touched on is that um like strenuous exercise or heavy lifting could somehow hurt female hormones. Um, And there's a lot of fear-mongering around this. Again, like we've talked about, this was kind of the reason why we covered Pilates last week. Um, We've talked about it. But I really want to just clarify kind of where this myth comes from because it does come from a kernel of truth. It's just been like distilled and morphed into this thing that isn't true. So weightlifting is not bad for your hormones full stop. There are things related to fitness that can throw off hormone balance and they could occur in a workout program that includes weightlifting, but it's not because of the weightlifting. So the things that are not great for hormone balance and or fertility is having too low of body fat. So your body can't produce enough hormones because it's actually the fat cells and fat tissue that make a lot of hormones in the body. Um, another thing is over-exercising slash under-recovering. So if you are just doing too much and not giving your body the resources and the time to recover, or you're just doing more than your body can recover from, that over time could lead to hormone imbalance. You can do that with weightlifting, but it's not the weightlifting. It's the overdoing it, right? And then the last thing- It's again what we what we talked about in the Pilates episode, that your body doesn't respond to the categorical style of training per se, it responds to things like intensity yes, and duration. To the stimulus, not to the word that describes your workout. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then related to this, because it's a part of under recovery, is under eating can lead to uh, hormone imbalance and fertility issues over time. Um, and again, this can be related to your workout program because often people will be, will start a workout program and also start a diet at the same time. And, you know, their food needs increase with their increased activity, but then they're eating even less than they were before, or they're eating the same amount and they don't increase the amount that they eat to meet those needs. And over time that can cause issues. But again, it's not about the workouts. It's about not eating in a way that supports the workouts. So if you've ever seen content online that was like, oh, like I stopped being like a gym talk girly because it wrecked my hormones. And then when I started just doing yoga, it fixed my hormones. It's not because of weightlifting versus yoga. It's because of overdoing it versus doing a reasonable amount. 
um, or under recovering versus recovering properly. And that's the difference. Yeah. Not, not to get like too deep into the body composition weeds here, but a lot of the people specifically like female influencers who have built platforms off of, oh, I used to be a really intense weightlifter and I did all that training, all that training, and I never got quote unquote the body that I wanted. And now I've given that up and I'm just doing Pilates and look how lean and toned my body looks now. We, they are skipping over the part where they spent years building up a physique yeah, and then maybe yeah, they experienced reduced inflammation or they're recovering more. And so now their body has dropped some fat or water, dropped some water weight or whatever (laughs) it is. Yeah. Because they were constantly inflamed because they were lifting heavy eight days a week. And now they're just doing Pilates and they're active and it's now you see those muscles under less fat. So they look lean and toned and they're saying they sculpted their body when in reality, you're seeing now the muscles that were from years of weightlifting and eventually they will start to lose some of that musculature the longer they say, oh, I'm not, I'm not training anymore or I'm just doing Pilates once a week and I'm walking. And nothing wrong with that. Movement is movement is movement. But there, there's a lot of context there's a, from the 15 seconds. There's a talk. cognitive dissonance about how they got those quote unquote results yeah. because results are not just what you can see. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, and I feel like I'm like yelling into the mic and lecturing you. I just this no, like what <laughs> this is the like. I feel like this just is our um like philosophical nemesis right now when it comes to fitness trends. Like it is the thing that is just the most popular, the most common with young women on social media. Um, and so you know. If you listen to all of our I episodes also, and you're hearing us rant about this for the sixth time, I'm sorry, but uh, there might be some people where this is their first episode and I want you to hear it. <laughs> yes. And I also know to a certain extent we are preaching to the congregation. And I think if you hear us getting heated, it's because this shit is insidious and it just keeps coming back. It's like a game of whack-a-mole. And I know like I – this – like, let's be real here. This recent wave of, you know, it started with Y2K fashion and then it was all the articles about, oh, is thin in again? Is heroin chic again? And now and it's Ozempic. the Ozempic and the Wagovi <laughs> and the buckle fat of it all. Like, this is a really, you know, the the hashtag body, body positivity wave of the 2010s really like there were no material gains for making things better for people in non-normative bodies. It was mostly a slight widening of the beauty standard and a heightened understanding that, Hey, maybe it's not okay to like call someone fat as a pejorative on national TV or something like that. Like body shaming is bad, Mm. but we didn't really make much progress in terms of like access for disabled people or fat people or like you know any kind of person in an othered body and now we're seeing such an enormous pushback to that really minor progress through this wave of the glorification of really thin like quote-unquote fashionably thin bodies again and it's a really I don't even want to say scary because I think that we're smarter consumers now but it's a really challenging time to exist 
as a consumer, Mm -hmm. as a woman, as a young person on the internet and be bombarded with this shit every day. And it's not always overt. It's often someone making claims about what they did to achieve the way their body looks or kind of talking obliquely about why they're eating what they're eating because it's, you know, for gut health or low inflammation and not naming the thing, which is we are still uh, prioritizing weight loss, but now we're not allowed to say I desire weight loss because that's sort of a social no-no. And we're also not acknowledging the systems that would incentivize us to desire weight loss. So it's a really messy time. So when we're yelling about this same stuff over and over, it's because I'm tired of seeing it every day. I'm tired of opening up my phone and being like, like the, the part of my brain that's still 12 years old and reading 17 magazine going like, Oh shit, do I need to start saving up so I can get this surgery? So I don't look different than everybody else my age. Like it is exhausting. Yeah. And I I mean, I think if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably exhausted by it, too. But I just hope I think my deepest hope for us yelling into these mics is that you have a place to go where you can maybe be reminded that, like, you're not alone in thinking this is bullshit. You're not alone in being confused and stressed out and affected by this. If you're having a bad body image week or day or year if you feel like you know relapse coming on if you feel like any of that if if you feel like you've taken a step backward because of all the shit that's being pushed like spewed at us every single day you're not making it up no like there's a huge gaslighting of are what are we allowed to talk and think about our bodies and what opinions are we allowed to have? Like I, and I know I'm taking this on a sidebar, but I was talking with a client the other day where we were discussing the buckle fat trend of all things. Mm. And she was expressing some shame around the act of judging other people based on a decision to have this procedure. And, you know, I, I think maybe we were having this conversation because I had made a TikTok about like how we're talking about Gwyneth Paltrow and how when we're like, uh, her diet is bullshit because she looks like shit. She doesn't look healthy. Like I was like, hey, guys, that's a bad instinct, because then we're saying, oh, well, if she did look good, then maybe her not eating diet would be good. Yeah. If you want and more on that, you can listen to the Patreon, Patreon episode. Yep. Anyways, <laughs> she was expressing <laughs> plug the Patreon. Uh, she was expressing a a feeling of shame for passing judgment. And I was like, well, you know, I think we can hold space. And I, obviously I don't have the answers to this. I'm dealing with this myself, but like, I think we can both protect the right to individual choice and not bring people's appearance into this discussion while also criticizing the system that again, influences these decisions. Mm. But I also think that like, as a young person, we are being exposed to this as a decision that we have to make. And when you make a decision, when you go, okay, so am I going to want to get the fat pad sucked out of my cheeks or not? You have to use judgment to make that decision for yourself. So you can't be asked to employ judgment in one moment and then be expected to just 
let it happen all around you without having feelings and opinions about it. Mm -hmm. And obviously like the conversations that we have behind closed doors and with our trusted people are different than the conversations we open up on the internet or in the media, Mm -hmm. whatever. Like I, I do think that picking apart, especially like celebrities appearance appearances, that's, you know, maybe a dopamine hit, but it doesn't really move the needle in terms of the cultural conversation, but it's, it's exhausting. Yeah. It's really, really exhausting. And I just, I hope, I hope you're all doing well. Cause I know like, I'm not, <laughs> are you Carolyn? Like- I mean, yeah, it's like, I definitely find myself kind of feeling a little in over my head when I get into this space where I'm like, okay, as someone who makes content about this kind of stuff as someone who is, you know, a fitness professional. So I'm going to have people in my everyday life coming to me and asking me my opinions on these things. I feel a certain amount of responsibility to stay up to date on the news and the discourse and what is happening and Mm -hmm. what things are coming out and becoming popular. And then also I am just a person and it will get to the point where it feels like just too much. And I feel very fortunate where I'm at the point where that usually doesn't come in the form of me feeling bad about myself and my own body. Um, it's, it's more of this like dread about the world around me and this feeling of like, Oh my God, I can't believe this is what the people I love and care about are being subjected to on a daily basis. Like I can't believe that, people who are just trying to live their lives and achieve their dreams and raise their families and engage in their hobbies are having to spend all of this time and energy making decisions about what plastic surgeries they may or may not get, what drugs they may or may not take because they saw celebrities taking them, because they saw an article on Twitter about celebrities doing it. And it's just... Because their doctor offered them up. They, like it's, yeah. it's everywhere. Cause there's a lot of people trying to make money off of this stuff. And, and that only has gotten more and more exaggerated over time. And so it's, it's just, it's just very overwhelming. And, um, I do feel fortunate that like, like I said, because I am, don't feel a lot of like personal drive to, think about those things like for myself, there is this ability to kind of turn it off. Like I can just stop going on Twitter. I can just stop checking Instagram. I can block hashtags. I can just choose to not see as much of that type of content anymore. And then as soon as I am not seeing it, this is me personally, I'm not really thinking about it. Um, But Mm. I know that that's not the same for everybody else because that stuff is way is going to be just way more triggering and stick with them and make them judge themselves and think about the implications in their own life. And that makes me really fucking sad. And I just hate it. And it still takes energy to bolster and it still takes energy to defend against those thoughts. Like even if it's easier now due to years of practice, like I think of if my brain is like a fortress and a castle, right? Mm-hmm. And TikTok, the the Trojan horse of TikTok has all the nasty Trojan soldiers inside who are like fighting their way into my fortress to tell me that I need complete reconstructive plastic surgery and I need to do the 75 hard mm-hmm. and I need to 
blah, 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 whatever. Like there is a time years ago in my life where I wouldn't have realized what was happening until I was like already at a feast with those Trojan soldiers. And now it's like, I'm peeking through the peephole in the door and I'm like, I know there are bad guys in there. I know that's just not a horse. Like I, I know that's not a gift, you know, but it still takes energy to to hold up that that door and defend. Yeah. Ugh, it is exhausting. But I guess to bring it back to the more <laughs> positive turn things we're talking about today, like what I actually what I was going to say is that like I wish I could spend all of my time as a fitness professional just helping people with the positive stuff. Like, hey, today we are like learning this new exercise, or like today we're gonna like fine tune some things so Let's that talk about mitochondria. Yeah, or so that like your deadlift <laughs> gets stronger. Like, I wish I could just be out here helping muscle mommies become their muscle mommyists. Um, but you know, <laughs> instead we have to end up having conversations about body image and shame and self-hate, which I'm happy to have those conversations because I think it's important for people to have a place where they can talk about those things without judgment. It just sucks that the conversations need to happen, you know, but it sucks that that's the reality of our world and what most people are swimming in, especially if they choose to engage with content that purports to be about empowerment health and wellness and yeah it sucks that you can't find like a healthy recipe on pinterest without seeing hashtag low carb no sugar zero cal yeah it sucks that you can't go on youtube and try to find like a workout for your core without six pack summer body toned for summer no mommy pouch like it sucks that you can't like pilates question Yeah, it's it's we're we're swimming in this is the culture all around us and we're swimming in yeah. it and that just <sighs> it's tiring. It is it's tiring. tiring. Well, let's close this out with some um practical advice. So, if you are someone who is maybe searched for like weightlifting advice for women, strength training for women and you have not liked the things you have seen because it's been a little too diet culture slash fat phobic slash not what you were looking for. Here is a resource from Laura. (laughs) (laughs) If you've been trudging through the goop of it all. So no, not the goop. uh, No, (laughs) (laughs) I think that might be, um, that might be our like catch all term. I don't want to invent like lingo that will keep new listeners out of like knowing what we're talking about. But I feel like if we don't want to go into that rant every time, it's just the goop. It's the goop that we're swimming in and just, trudging it's just through. The goop of it all. The goop of yeah. it all. Yeah. yeah. So I think that paints a very vivid picture. Yeah. Um. So let's talk about. I'm pulling up a number here. Um. Great. So let's talk about a few of the major misconceptions around strength training, resistance training specifically as women. And we'll get into some like really broad recommendations um, around those sort of misconceptions. Also just a quick note. And I think, I think we did say this in another episode, but can't repeat it too much that when we're talking about women here in this context, uh, when we're drawing on like exercise science, this is a very, um, 
sex-based binary conception of like what it means to be a woman, a woman, women are not a monolith. A lot of the science does not represent, you know, intersex people, like non-binary and trans people, like the, all of the experiences that are represented in the scientific literature currently are very binary. So when we're saying women, we're mostly talking about people with more estrogen in their body, dealing with a a uterus, dealing (laughs) a unicorn, uh, dealing with a (laughs) menstrual cycle, et cetera. So I'm sorry that this is, you know, a clumsy conversation, but just to give you a heads up about what we're doing here. Um, So basically women are the biggest consumers of fitness content, the biggest consumers of fitness marketing and fitness products. Women are like way more than half of who's hiring personal trainers and going to group exercise classes and engaging with fitness media online. Um, Women are also pretty disastrously underrepresented in exercise science literature. Uh, There's an interesting study that came out in 2021 that was a review of like all the data. (laughs) And it's, it's about the sex data gap. It's called the, I'll just read you the title. That would be a more helpful thing to do. Uh, It's the invisible sports women study, the sex data gap in sport and exercise science research. They found that 34% of study participants in all journals were female and that only 6% of studies were done on only female populations. Only 6% of studies looked at like the experience of being in a female body. Um, So again, not to hammer home this point, like we did in the Pilates episode, uh, but a lot of what you see about, oh, sync with your cycle and balance your hormones and don't do this on your period and you better only do these exercises is that stuff is really, really unfounded in the research. Also worth noting again, that most of the research that is done on female athletes is done on really elite level trained athletes. They make good uh, research sub- research subjects because so many factors in their lives are controlled because they're training for elite sport. So even when a study is done on say all women or when all of these subjects in a study are women, pardon me, they, and they're looking at like minute training differences those are among a very homogenized group of women and they're looking at like a 1% training difference in someone at the peak of their performance. So all good things to note. Um, so let's talk about some of the, so women are understudied, underserved, over-marketed. Um, and Yes, there are differences, and we'll probably learn more about those in the years and the decades to come, and I'm excited to learn about those. We have the two equal truths of female bodies are not just like small, weak male bodies, and also human bodies are human bodies, and we probably don't need to be that hung up on adjusting what we do know to be good and reputable training advice for you know, in consideration of sex differences. So some sex difference. And that the differences that do exist become more important the more elite the training gets. And the more that you are just an average person exercising, the less important those differences are. Yes. 
Yes. Um, so one of the biggest claimed differences, perhaps, is that women have a harder time putting on muscle than men do because men have like 10 to 15 times the testosterone floating around their bodies. Um, this is shown to be a, a really minor difference in most literature. It Women and people of all genders have pretty much the same capacity for building and maintaining muscle. The difference in how quickly you can pack on muscle more so comes down to body size. Women tend to be a little bit smaller than men. Women tend to carry a little more body fat than men do because body fat can help keep us metabolically healthy. It can help keep us fertile and, you know, <laughs> talking, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> But I'm mostly <laughs> laughing at the face that you made when you said that. Well, I'm sorry. Thank God sorry, podcasts are notoriously a visual medium. Um, so, <laughs> you know, Caroline, Caroline touched on how damaging it can be for a body to exist at a lower percentage of body fat than our body wants to exist at. And for people who, you know, could go through the process of pregnancy and childbirth, the body has even more of an incentive to hold on to some fat to keep us healthy, right? So women just tend to have a little bit more body fat than men, no big deal. Anyways, that means men tend to have, percentage-wise, a higher degree of of uh, lean body mass, of skeletal muscle. So when you are a heavier person with more body mass to move around, it's going to be easier to build muscle because you're starting with more mass and muscle begets muscle. It's basically just that. That is what the difference accounts for. Um, men tend to carry a little bit more muscle in their upper bodies. Women tend to carry a little bit more muscle in their lower bodies, but they've done like pound for pound studies that women are uh percentage-wise, just as strong as men. Like if you're looking at moving a percentage of your body weight, we have these exact same capacity for building muscle like hypertrophically, like just muscle muscle size-wise and also strength-wise. We have a tremendous capacity for building strength. And actually, we have, let me look at the number. Hold on, hold on, switching tabs. We have about nine times the estrogen <laughs> that men do. And again, Anytime you hear a number in science, it is an average. It is just an average. That's it. There's mm -hmm. high ends of the spectrum and there's low ends of the spectrum. So I know this is not an extreme example of that, but keep that in mind whenever you're hearing anything with a number in it. Um, estrogen helps the body repair itself. Estrogen takes care of us. It helps us hold on to muscle mass. It means we have a greater capacity for recovery, um, both in between workouts and like in between sets, women can get away with like shorter rest times. And again, this is all both general and an average, you know, if are you training pound for pound with like a male friend and you're going to be like, ha ha, 10 seconds less in my rest, like who cares, you know, but it's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, if you want to view it as like a nice little superpower, it means we can take on a higher training volume, which ultimately can lead to more strength and more muscular gains. Um, it also means we tend to be fit for better fit for endurance activities that use, I can never keep it straight type one or type two. Um, type one, 
we tend to have a greater density of type one muscle fibers, which means that say you're performing the exact same move at the exact same like body weight and intensity uh, percentage as a person in a male body, women can get in more reps. We can last longer. We fatigue slower in endurance activities. Whereas, you know, they suggest that men with a greater density of type two muscle fibers, those fast twitch muscle fibers are more able to produce power in short spurts, but also like women are very suited to producing power. Again, these are really, really minor differences. I don't want to necessarily, you know, use that that's been used to substantiate a whole lot of like well women should do bar and men should do jumping yeah so again minor minor differences averages and ultimately we all have type one and type two muscle fibers men and should cross do jumping <laughs> and like, i'm sorry <laughs> cross training is good for everybody oh, yes. the, the <laughs> next fitness craze jumping for men <laughs> We should just start marketing towards men the same way that women have been marketed to for years and years. Just be like, this is muscle jumping. It'll make you big, big. Like, Well, I guess, unfortunately, men are kind of already being marketed towards that way because the patriarchy is killing everyone. But anyways, yeah. these are some like very minor scientific differences you will find that I think are interesting. But ultimately, it's all a wash. When you apply this practically, it, it, does it matter? Not really. Um, so let's talk about some of... So basically, yeah, women are just as capable of having great experiences, building impressive physiques and performing strength feats as men are. Period. That's it. Mm -hmm. That's all. Um, some reasons you might want to get into that resistance and strength training. Yay! Something positive and practical. Yeah, yeah, hooray, yeah, hooray, yeah, hooray, yeah. hooray! Um <clears throat> Strength training not only makes you strong, grows your muscles, other tissues in your body also respond to resistance training really, really well. Uh, it keeps you cognitively healthy because your brain is making new neuromuscular connections. It's developing uh, good proprioception, which also helps us do things like not fall down when you step the wrong way off the sidewalk. It keeps our bones healthy. Women are more likely to lose bone density as we age and experience osteoporosis. Uh, but strength training and impact training too, like jumping, it's not just for men. Um, impact can help build nice dense bones because our body's like, Oh, I need dense bones for this. Great. You can have some of those. It's incredible. It's like manifestation, but it's science. Um, it helps keeps our it helps keep our joints healthy, uh, both by like padding them a little bit by the body knowing that it needs to like keep enough cartilage for our joints to stay good. And also by using strong musculature around that joint to support healthy movement. Um, let's see what else. Exercise also keeps you metabolically healthy. It helps keep your body insulin sensitive. It basically helps. You can think of it as like, <laughs> sorry, exercise is like the lube that helps your body keep going. Like it's like oiling a squeaky joint. You know what I mean? Like your body knows what to do with its hormones. If you keep moving, the body's going to keep functioning properly. As long as you are doing the rest and the eating that support that movement, your body loves mm -hmm. to move and your body will respond in beautiful ways. This also is very important when it comes to the experiences of 
pregnancy and childbirth. Not so much in the case of, oh, these specific exercises will help your tummy snap back after you've had a massive body trauma, after you've been through something like both incredible and destructive. Uh, but in the sense that childbirth, no matter how it happens, is basically an extreme sport. And if you are better trained going into that extreme sport, there's a higher likelihood that you'll come out of it better, that it will be an easier experience, that your body will respond better to stress, trauma, all of the above, right? Makes sense. Um, mm -hmm. Exercise, because it keeps, you know, our muscles and bones and joints healthy can also aid in things like menstrual cramps. If it's helping balance your hormones, if it's helping uh, you stay like reactive to things like blood sugar, then it's just going to make the experience of being a person who goes through ebbs and flows of life a little bit smoother. That's all. It also helps with things like carrying a child. We know that women do more like a, a, an actual child, not like inside of your body, like but like your outside arms. your body. Yeah. Or your hip. Yeah. Like women are more likely to take on child's rearing activities they're more likely to care for another family member they're more likely to be taking on the brunt of the domestic labor at home um and commentary eye on roll. that side like <laughs> being yeah yeah right big eye roll but being strong makes all those things a lot easier you know uh women also are living a lot longer than their male counterparts um like five years on average and pretty i don't know if it's the number one thing, I think now I'm just excited and I'm exaggerating, but a massive cause for concern once we get later in life uh, is slipping and falling. A fall, mm -hmm. especially a sideways fall, which is a lot of falls, which can lead to a hip fracture, which is a lot of falls. Uh, that can be a really disastrous life-changing event for a lot of people. I think it's like 60% I had I had this number pulled up too. It's from the CDC. 95% of hip fractures are caused by taking a sideways fall. The risks only increase with age and there is a high likelihood that a person who experiences a hip fracture within a year will be either no longer able to live on their own and take care of themselves or will ultimately pass away. It increases the risk of uh it, mm -hmm. it increases the mortality rate by a tremendous amount um so again not only utilizing the the body's capability to keep our bones and joints and muscles healthy and strong but also training just as an action that helps you develop skills like balance and agility and proprioception which is just a good sense of your body in space those are things that we tend to lose a little bit uh, as we age both because of you know a small natural decline and also just because some of those things are kind of use it or lose it um, things you don't necessarily need to be scared of with age are metabolic decline when lean body mass is controlled, aka when you are preserving your muscle mass by strength training or even growing your muscle mass, metabolism stays consistent between the ages of, I think it's 20 and 60, it might be 30 and 60, but metabolism stays steady. Your body is not like, we don't peak at 30, you know? Um, there's also, and this is more of a, a personal belief when looking at like sociopolitical factors, but we talk about sarcopenia 
which is age-related muscular atrophy. Um, But that's at a very small rate. It's by like a few percentage points a decade after the age of 30 that your body is breaking more muscle down. And a lot of those risks can be blunted by participating in strength training activities, by participating in muscle building activities. They've shown even in older adults, when they start strength training at the age of 70 or 80, that a lot of those risks tend to decline. So, you know, it's not easy to exist in a human body in America. Um, It's taking care of ourselves is both an enormous personal responsibility because again, no standardized healthcare, no universal healthcare, and also like the, the time gap also, you know, who has time to like move their body and work out and resistance train and all of that. It's again, super simple, not so easy. Um, but we tend to get more sedentary with age. We tend to feel like the research on, oh, our ability to grow muscle declines with age tends to keep people from taking on newer challenging activities when those risks are overstated and lots of people at all stages of life could benefit from starting resistance training now so that you can experience the benefits as long as possible. It's like it's like compound interest, you know, it, it's never it's never too late yeah. to invest. But if you do it when you're 30, it's going to be a lot easier to experience the benefits than if you start when you're 60. Um, so that's my little pitch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Did I miss anything? I love it. Ah, yes. So many good stats. I think like the last thing that I would want to say is just, I know that we talked for a lot of this episode about kind of like extreme strength and extreme muscular physiques. Um, And then we wove it into a conversation about just like general physical health benefits of resistance training. And I want to make sure that we explain that that connection is not like exact. You don't need to be training to be a muscle mommy. Absolutely not. (laughs) And, uh, you know, training at some like extreme level or in the pursuit of some extreme physique in order to get these benefits that Laura was talking about. And in fact, I think that there are a lot of, you know, back to misconceptions. You mentioned this one at, at the top of the show. Um, about what it actually takes to get a physique that looks like these people that go viral on social media or to be able to be as strong as these historical uh, women that we talked about. For most people, it takes a very intensive level of training um, and eating (laughs) and planning in order to get a physique that looks muscularly Mm -hmm. extreme. Um, that is going to be the truth for most people. So, you know, I, there are a lot of women, especially who are nervous about strength training or resistance training of any kind, because they are scared of looking bulky or looking manly. I can't believe we've talked for an hour and a half and we didn't even get into toning and bulking. That's wild. How? Yeah. And (laughs) we're getting into it now. Yeah. And so there's two sides to this coin that I want to bring up. So the one is that like, if you are looking at these like muscle mommies on TikTok and you're like, oh my God, I'm never going to pick up a dumbbell again because I don't want to look like that. 
chances are you won't because they look like that on purpose and they make a lot of really particular decisions in their training and their eating in order to look like that. There's a reason it's called progressive overload and not overnight overload. Yeah. Now, I also want to say, though, that this fear of being bulky and like looking too muscular is rooted in misogynistic beauty ideals for women that go back to everything we were talking about before in the Victorian era and before that women, you know, of high class and society are supposed to look and be meek and fragile and not strong. Get out your red yarn and pin those two points together. That's what's exactly. And so not that I think that not that I am judging anyone for not wanting to look bulky, quote unquote, or muscular. Um, And not that I think that if you have some wariness around looking that way, that there's something like wrong with you (laughs) or whatever. But I just want to point out that that expectation and that desire to not look bulky was taught to you by a misogynistic society that has certain expectations for women to be weak. Um, And the truth is that some women, when they strength train, even a modest amount, will end up looking, quote unquote, too bulky for some people's taste, right? There are women who just because of their genetics and their just like natural build and their idea of what they want to look like when they strength train even a little bit, they feel like they are too muscular and they are bulky. So I don't want to say that like, oh, weight training will never make you bulky because that's also not true because everybody's idea of what too bulky is, is different. Um, it's all based on different, you know, expectations around the beauty standard and everybody's body is different. And so like, I'm not going to tell someone that they must strength train if they hate the way that their body looks when they strength train. But I would also say that it might be worth the effort to do like the mental and emotional work to kind of unpack why, you have these body expectations for yourself. And if it really is worth it to give up on the physiological health benefits of resistance training in order to fit a misogynistic body ideal. So things to think about, but no judgment. <laughs> that That is a great point. And also in regards to activity or to gaining muscle, changing the shape of our bodies, it's just important to remind ourselves that there are things like the length of our limbs and how much space is between our joints where our muscles are literally attached that we yeah. can't change those things no matter what kind of activity we do so people will res- people will aesthetically respond to the same exercise in different ways people have exactly. like we talked about all those numbers being averages and representing a wide scale of experiences um People have a greater capacity for gaining muscle or a greater capacity for fat loss or have a much harder time gaining muscle. It takes them years and years to put on the same muscle that someone might put on in a couple months. There is also Mm -hmm. a phenomenon that I've noticed, and this might sound familiar. Some people will try strength training for a few weeks 
and they'll go, oh, I just put on muscle so fast. I just felt myself bulking up right away. Uh, And that I think in most cases I can explain. Um, And that can be an uncomfortable sensation when you're like, oh gosh, like I feel, I feel different. I maybe feel a little bit, you know, bloated or puffy. Like those can be uncomfortable feelings. If you've, if you're experiencing body change, what seems like very rapidly for the first time, um, something to consider is that when we strength train, especially for the first time when you just start, uh, your muscles are becoming inflamed and your muscles are going to hold on to some water (laughs) uh, because they're trying to repair the tissues. They're trying to adapt to what you've just asked them to do. And that can, that can feel uncomfortable, but that's probably not muscle gain and it's probably not weight gain. Um, And I think that that phenomenon of feeling like, Oh gosh, I feel heavy or I feel, you know, quote unquote bloated, so whatever it is. So fast. I'm, if yes. it keeps going at this rate, then I'm going to look like a monster. That, I think that that's can, probably the thought process. Yeah. That can keep people from, it's the same thing as when you do a difficult workout for the first time and you're so, so sore, you can barely walk the next day. And then maybe by the third or fourth time you do that workout, it doesn't leave you as sore because your body's a little more mm-hmm. used to it now. That's what's happening when you did like a, a pretty tough strength training workout and your body's adjusting, your body's adapting to that stimulus for the first time. And that can yeah. feel like it's a massive physical change when it's not. It's like you got I don't know, a just black guy or something. Period. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And that I think can throw a lot of people off the scent and stop them from taking these six months or a year it might take to see some really meaningful, positive progress in the gym. And I think the flip side of that same experience is people that go into strength training seeking out fairly dramatic physique changes where they want to gain mm. a lot of muscle. I see this on like male dominated, um, like fitness, like Reddit, (laughs) uh, subreddits Uh and stuff. Um, but you know, if you're someone who's listening to this being like, I want to be a muscle mommy and like, you're new to the, like, you've never really strength trained before. Um, and this phenomenon, like the flip side of it is called newbie gains. That's kind of the bros gym bro, bro science term, which is basically that like at the beginning of your weightlifting experience, you're going to see much more rapid improvement in terms of your strength and much more rapid changes in terms of your physique in those first few weeks to maybe a couple of months. And then it can, and then it slows down. It can kind of plateau. And so that can also be a discouraging experience where if you're like seeing all these changes and you're loving them and you're like, oh my gosh. And then you're three months in and all of a sudden you're like, where's my progress? I've been stuck at the same place for so long. Or like my progress has really slowed down. That's also really normal. Your body makes some rapid adaptations at the beginning and then is like, whoa, this is crazy and kind of sorts it out and adapts. And then the changes happen slower. And of course, not everybody's experience is exactly the same and the timeline's not the same and the intensity of that experience is not the same, but, um, just something to potentially expect that it's not that you are doing anything wrong or that suddenly you are weak or bad at exercising or you're not pushing yourself hard enough. It's just the way that your physiology adapts to exercise over time. And there's so much fear mongering around plateauing, especially in terms of 
visible body weight loss competition or composition change. Yeah. Um, and here's my hot take is that plateauing is not necessarily a bad thing. Kind of means that you've been doing something right for a while. And also say I went to the gym for the first time and I strength trained perfectly. I did it so well for a year and then something happened and I fell off and I had to take two weeks off. I had to take six months off. I had to take two years off. The next time I get back in the gym, progress is going to happen faster because how your muscles respond to resistance is that they form more myonuclei. Those are literally the nucleus of your muscle cells. They are able to be What's it like multi-nucleated or whatever? I made up that word. I'm pretty sure, but it's something like that. <laughs> it's, it's it's something like that. Uh, we should go back to a high school biology class. But basically, you gain more myonuclei even when the muscle fibers shrink and they atrophy mm-hmm. a little bit. You get to keep those nuclei. So like muscle memory is real because the next time you're going to have all like so many more brains in your muscle cells that are like, oh, we remember this. We yeah. know what we're doing. Let's hop the in and lend a helping hand. is there already. Yeah. Yeah. So like even all this to say, you never really lose progress. Even if the progress that you've gained is just knowing what you're doing, feeling more comfortable setting foot in a gym, feeling more confident in the weight room, understanding your body better. Like that stuff doesn't go away just because you've had to take a break. So anticipating that you may someday have to take a break is not a great rationale for never starting. Yes. Ooh, I love that. That's amazing. Oh, also put a pin in this. I think this is going to be a Patreon episode because this is just a special interest of mine, but there is a contestant on survivor this season. Who's a young man. He's like 20 and he was talking about like, oh, you know, I'm I'm so nerdy. I'm such a tiny little guy. I never had good luck with girls. And all the people on the island were looking at him like, what are you talking about? Like, you're, you're a good looking like buff dude. And he was like, well, I gained 30 pounds of muscle to come on this show. He, <laughs> he gained 30 pounds of muscle in like two or three months. Oh my and to God. me, that's like a great case of newbie gains and like a, should be studied perhaps. And the guys that I was listening to listening to on the Survivor Correspondence podcast that I was listening to, which again, really selling myself out here, but they were like, well, he, once he's off the show, he should sell like training plans. Like I'd hire him as my trainer because I've tried all this stuff. I've been in the gym for 10 years and I've never been able to do that. And I want to be like, guys, it's because you've been in the gym for 10 years. Yeah. Like, You'll never experience his plan, that. His plan will not work for you because... His plan was B19. for him because he was new. <laughs> His plan was B19 yeah. and never have strength trained before this. <laughs> B19 is not a great plan. <laughs> Certainly not something you can sell, although they'll try. <laughs> Honestly, I feel like that is the lesson that most of our episodes boil down to is that this <laughs> looks good online because they're 19. <laughs> yeah. Never forget that you're not 19 unless you are unless 19. You, unless and you then- are. Don't freak out. Your your not every sweet, mushy little frontal lobe is gonna congeal, and you're gonna feel so much better. And you won't even be that sad that you can't gain thirty pounds of muscle anymore because life gets better after nineteen, like a lot better. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it takes a while to get better, but it does get better. <laughs> 
Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm still kind of waiting for that to click in, but it's an upward trend. (laughs) Well, I think we also, not to bring in astrology right at the end here, but I think both of us also (laughs) just started our Saturn returns, which is, you know, a notoriously um, dynamic time in life. Let me put it that way. (laughs) So, Well, can I say that I was having a particularly hard, like... I was going to say week, but I really mean like six months. And I was like, certainly this is my Saturn return. And I looked it up and mine's not going to happen for like two more years. And oh, I was wait, like, no! where, what is your, are you not, are you not Pisces? No, I'm Gemini. You're I'm Gemini, Gemini baby. Oh, and they were like, it's going to happen when you're 29 or 30. And I was like, no, I'm certain that's what's happening to me now. It's not going to get harder than this. Don't tell me that. It's not always harder. I can give you a reading later. We'll talk about it. I just started mine and so did Eben. (gasps) Wait. Okay. That's a Patreon episode. Oh, yes. Read me. We've been been (laughs) talking about doing that. We're going to do... Okay. We need to do a musical... Laura Explains Musical Theater Patreon episode and we need to do a And maybe we're a little bit tips. (laughs) Yes. And we need to do a Carolyn Reads Laura's Astro Chart Patreon. Yeah. We'll get the 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 theater kids and the astrology kids. You want to be there. Um, okay. Well, All right. we'll let you go now. We love this you. Went literally we- twice as long as we were expecting. So thank you for listening all the way to the end. If you are still here. Yeah. We love you I so much. I hope you much. enjoyed your walk. I know we're your walk <laughs> companion for a lot of people. So I hope maybe you made it back home and now you're emptying the dishwasher or something. Cause yes. you just don't want to say goodbye, but we or love your you. Morning Tag us in your selfies. Yeah, your lizard like, time. Your lizard there's time. There's consistently like 30 to 50 people who listen before 8 a.m. on the days where I get this out at 6 a.m. So thank you to you guys. Too. That's dedication. You're the best. I know. I yeah, know. You it's rock. very impressive. All like, right. subscribe, rate, review, smash that follow button. Um, we love your emails. Keep them coming. Uh, anything else? Take care of yourselves. Use your brains. Be good to your bodies. And uh, we'll talk later. Sound good? Sounds good. We love you. Bye. Bye.